Welcome everyone to Goddard in the World podcast. I am Amanda Laxon, your host, and I am here today with Georges Drouin. Georges is a legacy Goddard graduate, having attended Northwood campus at its inception from 1965 to 1968. He is of French and French-Canadian descent. His work at Goddard focused on psychology, teaching, modern dance, the I Ching, and Tai Chi. Georges has served on a school board as a small town counselor, founded a soccer school for young people with his two sons, and founded an elite soccer team in Quebec. He has trained in Hatha Yoga, Zen Shiatsu, intuitive Tai Chi, meditation and mindfulness, and therapeutic touch from the early 1980s up to present day. Welcome, Georges. Thank you, Amanda. That, that's quite the uh, condensed version of who I am. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you did very well, yeah. Oh, thank you. So oh, good. <laughs> good, good. Yes, um, George has a lot of stories to tell. So I, so I tried to pick <laughs> a couple <laughs> just to start, and um, and then we're gonna just uh, let let the let the tape roll, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> Some well. people don't understand that because it's uh, digital these days, and I don't know if they understand tape rolling, but <laughs> that's fine. Um, so, George, you told me in your bio um, that you had sent me that your mother was an educator. Um, she taught kindergarten, inspired by Montessori and Rudolf Steiner philosophies. Were you taught by your mother? Like, did she, was she your school teacher? Not really. Uh, basically, mm -hmm. mother brought us up. And when we were of school age, she began her teaching career. Uh, oh, so, okay. So basically, she taught us because she was a very good person uh, and a very good parent. So mm -hmm. really what happened is when we were very young, I think mother had that, that, that natural ability to, to help people along their path. And as a young child, leading up to grade school, mother was with us throughout my early childhood. When she went to school, she... Um, she got her teaching degree by correspondence, would you believe, in the 30s, uh, late 30s, oh, wow. I imagine, or early 40s. So mother had to deal with women without the right to vote, without the right to sign their checks, and so on and so forth. And she brought us up. My mother was always present. Uh, she taught for almost 20 years. Uh, mm -hmm. She passed away the year after she retired, unfortunately, from cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so mother, uh, but, but Steiner and Montessori led me to appreciate her wisdom. And so mm. when she brought me in touch with a woman whose father was on the board of trustees at the time in the 63, 64 era, 1963-64, mm -hmm. Mr. Heidegger, uh, mother's friend, just basically introduced me to Goddard via her father. And then mm. I was interviewed. Uh, mother, and also, by the way, mother corresponded with Tim Pickett over the years. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I have letters of Tim in my possession as a bit of a historical heritage, a legacy of mm -hmm. how Tim appreciated people becoming involved with their children's and the young adults, because I was a young adult by then. Uh, so mother would donate 5 or $10 every few months. And so Tim would respond in a signed, typewritten letter response. Really? Appreciated. Yeah, very, very, very intriguing. So, so Tim, Tim became a very important person as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And all the people around him, like, gathered that spirit that Goddard had been founded upon, not just Dewey, but all the educators uh, and the people that got, well, you got involved in, I believe, in the adult degree program at that time, that Corinne mm -hmm. Elliott founded, that uh, mm -hmm. passed away in recent years, but she was instrumental in guiding the college uh, with Tim and other people uh, to wow. where it ended up becoming much more, uh, I think, innovative, as we all know. So, mm -hmm. so mother, mother got me going. Yeah. How did she know Tim Pitkin? Because she Just showed up on campus point. when she would drive me down, and Mother probably decided oh. of her own accord to write okay. Tim and to make small contributions oh. uh, to the Goddard okay. cause. So, yeah, so Interesting. it's just that Tim responded to her initiative, I'm sure. And oh, I'm wow. sure, you know, I'm sure at commencement they might have exchanged a few words as well. Mm -hmm. but, you know, commencement is what it is. There's always a few dozen of us getting getting our bachelor degree or whatever. 
Sure. Um, what is so so growing up in a household where where education and hands on you know sort of learning was kind of valued. Do you have a story that you remember from your early childhood education? It could be in school or out, I guess. <laughs> well, I guess in school it was at that time we, we, uh, we wanted to do the best we could in terms of the, the system that we had in place in Quebec. And Quebec had to grow out of a rather antiquated approach to education to a much more innovative approach. And this began when I began high school with our mm. Minister of Education, Paul Jouret Lajoie. Okay. English accent, so we can perhaps make sure it's, it's well said. But Mr. Gélin Lajoie uh, began to educate us differently. And mm-hmm. one was very close to that process by accompanying us every time we had parent-student meetings. Uh, mm-hmm. And really, she... But, but I think at home, what I, what I recall the most are two things, oriental art and statuettes. So okay. that's where my, my intro to... All my interest in the, the uh, I Ching, Tai Chi, mm-hmm. Taoism, Buddhism, City Yoga, and so on. But also the fact that the mother got us to read a lot. I, I read mm-hmm. from my youth all the French mm-hmm. classics and some of the Quebec ah. classics as well. So that really got me going. So when I went to Goddard, I just enjoyed reading books where I spent many, many hours in bookstores, especially mm-hmm. the Goddard bookstore. And I remember mentioning in my bio that that's how I got introduced to Nietzsche. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What are some of those French classics or Quebec classes, classics oh, that you remember? I donated all my French books to the library in our small, near our small town where I was raised. Uh, mm-hmm. The love of travel, the Baudelaire, uh, Chateaubriand, Dubois, Alexandre Dubois, Three Mosquitoes, uh-huh. uh, uh-huh. that great uh, impression that we are left with when we read some of these great authors. And that led me into the existentialist uh, authors from uh, mm-hmm. André Malraux to uh, Camus, uh, Dostoevsky, mm-hmm. which I loved a great deal, Kazantzakis, mm-hmm. uh, all, all those great classics of the 60s through the 70s, uh, they inspired me throughout my youth. Oh, yes, wonderful. Very much so. Wonderful. But I thought it led me into psychology. So that's where okay. I began to discover psychology in a much deeper manner. Nice. That's great. You, you mentioned that up until... I think it's college. Uh, you were you were schooled in the French language, right? All of your yes, classes yes, were in yes, French, absolutely. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. did you did you also have was it bilingual or just French? No. <laughs> we had a French teacher in high school called Frank Sennett. He was also a okay. coach for basketball. But, oh. uh, Mr. Sennett taught us just a basic rudimentary knowledge of English, so I basically learned on my own. Uh, when okay. I began university in English for the first time at the age of, I just turned 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, actually, I just turned 17 when I started university. Yeah, so basically, I learned uh, as I went along. But my English mm-hmm. skills were very good. I, I, my parents were both taught high school in English to be bilingual. Right? So oh, really? Yes, uh, the philosophies of my grandparents were very advanced. In regards to, because as a minority in Canada, <clears throat> and Quebec up until the late 50s, so it was going through what we call the Grand Loisir, the Great Darkness, because uh, oh. our governments prevented our people from developing their natural abilities and taking a role in society in all matters, from politics to business. So okay. from the late 50s to the early 60s, Quebec evolved. And so a lot mm. of things had to happen, and basically we were part of that movement. Uh, mm. Mm-hmm. What what kind of things had to evolve for? Well, for example, Trudeau got elected <clears throat> prime minister uh-huh. in the mid sixties. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he was accompanied by two other politicians, André Marchand, a unionist, mm-hmm. and uh, Gérard editor in chief of La Presse, Quebec's uh, okay. French Daily, the largest French daily in North America. Uh, okay. So those people began to change our outlook on life within okay. Canada, our role mm-hmm. within Canada as a province, but with national mm-hmm. aspirations, and as I'm sure you're aware of, 
was a strong separatist movement that, that lasted right. to, to the probably early 90s, mid 90s. Many, many politicians, but they were our leaders and they got us going. And now that Canada is going well, as well as mm-hmm. Quebec within Canada, that is mm-hmm. more or less behind us right? okay. as, a, as a nation within the country. That's interesting. So did, um, so I, I, I believe I've told you about this before, but you know, whatever, <laughs> it would have been a no. long time ago, but no. I, um, my parents immigrated to Canada, to St. John's, Newfoundland, um, in 19, 19- 81. Um, and so I was born in Boston and then they moved with me to Canada. Um, and that's where they got their citizenship and all of this. And so we were in Canada for basically the first 13 years of my life. So it's like 81 to 94. I remember, so all of my school age, you know, like early childhood is in Canada. And I remember, everything being in French and English, right? And um, all, like all the signage um, across across the country. And um, in seventh grade, I did my, um, that was my last year of school there. In seventh grade, I did late French immersion. So I, you know, uh, for, for the, George knows what this is, but like for, for other people, that means I took all of my classes in French, except for English okay. literature and, um, art i think was was in uh, english yes. um yeah and that was in winnipeg so with the not the separatist movement but but with the the great did you say the great darkness this i don't know the term well through the 30s 40s and 50s quebec was very much uh, lagging behind much of the rest okay. of canada in regards okay. to its emancipation as a nation as a people Okay. We had to defend our language and our culture in a rather yeah. strong manner, but it took strong leadership, and they emerged in the late 50s. Uh, mm. Just prior to that, the, the provincial government that we had under Duplessis was basically giving all of the natural resources to American companies to exploit any which way they wanted. But oh, also wow. politically, politically being subjugated to an mm. entity that had control over our, our destiny, and basically Quebec woke up. Uh, okay. Thanks to many of our great leaders, including René Lévesque, by the way, who okay. uh, ended up uh, founding the Parti Québécois, uh, mm. our separatist, our nationalistic political party that still exists. Uh, however, what, what happened is that he was also a liberal just before that in uh, Jean Lesage's provincial government in the early 60s. And Jean Lesage exemplified the awakening of Quebec. Okay, mm. uh, And so all those people that worked in Lachetampe, and, and you got the benefit of that with your immersion, the French immersion. Right, right. Because basically English Canada began waking up to yeah. Quebec's needs. And even though we only represent 20, 22% of the overall population, in Quebec mm. we're 80 or 81% of the uh, of course, population, which is significant, yeah. but also yeah. important. So what, what really is, is key here is that we're not Europe. Quebec is not a European mm-hmm. country among many other countries with different mm-hmm. languages and cultures. We are mm-hmm. one language and one culture among an Anglophone majority that just is overwhelming, especially mm-hmm. with America with its cultural impact, which is so significant. So right. when you consider Quebec at about 8 million and a half people right now, 80% French-speaking, Canada having maybe another 2 million, French-speaking mm-hmm. citizens, including Winnipeg, by the way, which is a French-speaking enclave, which is very, very good, yeah. very rich, yeah. very, very, mm-hmm. very rich history. So what, what's happening is that we're trying to maintain our culture, our language, and our capabilities in regards mm-hmm. to the world at large in a, such a significant manner. So it's overwhelming, but we're doing it. And we're mm-hmm. doing it without much violence, even though there was some in the early 70s uh, with the FLQ, the Grande de Québécois. Mm. Anyway, so, so all that now is we're in a much healthier state of mind. Quebec's economy is actually going quite well, considering mm. the pandemic and what's uh, preceded it and what's followed since. Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And so you were a beneficiary of the yeah 
And you must have Canadian citizenship as well. Do you speak no, they never gave me Canadian citizenship oh. because I just because I was born in the states. Um, so they because uh, it was see. from Philippines, and uh, um, yes, so being in the states, I could be fine (laughs) living in Canada under my parents. They got Canadian citizenship. Uh, Yeah. My, the rest of my family, (laughs) like my dad, my mom, my older sister, and then my younger sister was born in Canada in St. John's. Um, And so they all became Canadians, uh, but they just (laughs) never, they never like filed the paperwork from me. But we we have we have a lot of um, emotional ties to Canada. My dad is currently living in Edmonton, um, and um, and he's been there. for a while but um yeah he he lives and works in edmonton um and yeah the uh, french and um french canada is something like has like a special place in our (laughs) hearts i'm so happy to hear that because yeah uh, yeah, and and it's important for north america very much like the spanish speaking Mm -hmm. Uh, countries uh, Mexico and Central America, which have a lot to do with uh, what's going on in the United States nowadays. Uh, yeah. So Quebec, Quebec, we're a bit of a jewel. That we're yes. Trying to keep shining and keep our different facets alive. Culturally, mm-hmm. we're very rich, musically, poetically, literature. Absolutely. Uh, Montreal is the cultural capital of Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. No matter how you cut the cake, Toronto mm-hmm. is actually very rich as well. So is Winnipeg, but a very good. Ballet yep. company out of Winnipeg that has. Uh, oh, yeah, Royal Winnipeg Ballet. Ballet. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Toronto has their, um, I don't know what the street is called, but like their little kind of Broadway, <laughs> you know, okay. a lot of the that theater be, district. Yeah, that would be Young Street, I would imagine. Young okay. Street, I would okay. So, yeah. um, and then I, I visited. Montreal um, in like 2004 and, you know, got to hang out. I was just there by myself and wanted to see it. I'd never been and um, uh, all the like jazz clubs and everything (laughs) over there. The cafes is awesome. Um, And where are you in Quebec? Well, actually, I used to live in the greater Montreal area. Uh, okay. We raised our family in the country about 50 miles outside of Montreal on a okay. rural route. So from 85, 86 onward through to when we sold the house in 2010, mm-hmm. uh, we were in the country. Uh, okay. However, from 2006 onward, I separated with my wife. Uh, mm-hmm. I became, we became divorced a few years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really, the boys continued uh, being close to the country. Uh, what happened is that Julien, our youngest, who's about 35 years of age now, uh, mm-hmm. he's a country boy. Jacques okay. our eldest, who's born on 39 in January, mm-hmm. uh, he lives in Quebec City with his wife, okay. who's from okay. uh, from the Magog area, just out from Vermont, before uh, mm-hmm. Vermont, Lake Lincoln, Magog. Uh, okay. As you know, Vermont is big in my life, so I always go down whenever I can, just even though we have a pandemic right now, my intent is to continue as soon as we yeah. can. But the thing is, is that I live about an hour out of Quebec City in the country on a rural route. Uh, okay. A small piece of land, 55,000 square feet, a lot of trees. Uh, I live here by myself in a three-story house, which is getting bigger. Uh, mm. Bigger than I, you know, so uh, trying to keep life simple as much as I can. Uh, I got COVID about two years ago, as I might have mentioned to the yes. people on the alumni council. Uh, yes. I, medit- I meditate in the States. I go down to a Chinese monastery in Carmel, New York, in the Hudson Valley. We've been going okay. down for eight or nine years. And we had a New Year's celebration for the Chinese New Year two years ago in January. And um. I got COVID. And COVID triggered Zona. And Zona COVID triggered phlebitis. So and oh. I've got long COVID. I have ups and downs, energy-wise. Mm. Uh, long COVID is very... Uh, very demanding process for many people. I'm very fortunate because I, I never became hospitalized, but I might have been mm-hmm. the first Canadian to get COVID as well. Because sure. I came back at the end of January two years ago, well, yeah. well before the uh, World Health Organization and 
your FDA and our Canadian health agencies. Uh, became aware of it in a very significant way. So right. by the end of February, I was basically completely out of it in the middle mm-hmm. of February. And now I'm coming out of that, which is rather nice. So hopefully I'll get down to the States in the spring. And that's mm. my goal. Uh, it's, it's been a long time waiting, but basically Goddard is my second home. Uh, you know, so I'm not sure many of us might, might say the same thing. Yeah. So you told me regarding Goddard, um, we'll move into that story now. (laughs) You were there at the beginning of Northwood uh, campus. I mean, you were there right before it (laughs) because it wasn't finished yet, right? And then. Yes, actually. uh 1964, or 65, Goddard was to begin in the fall of 65. Okay. wasn't ready. So okay. So Jim, Jim and the administration sent us to two locations. Some people ended up in Three Rivers, Quebec, in the middle yes. of the fall, which is not necessarily a, a great place to be. And those of us, uh, others of us, were sent to San Juan, Puerto Rico. Oh, so wait, yeah. where did where did you go? Did, I, was did, at, I ended up in Puerto Rico. You did? Oh my yeah. gosh! <laughs> well, that's that's probably better for the fall. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Basically, right. we had a woman called Cachita Labrada. She was a Cuban woman. Okay. Uh, if you look, if you look at her bio, it's very impressive. A very educated woman, uh, very much involved with Goddard. And she, I think, arrived at Goddard in '64. And she okay. was there for my three years. So she probably ended up towards the end of the 60s retiring to New York City. But Kachita accompanied us, and we went down as a small group of students. We studied at the, uh, at the University of Puerto Rico in Rio Piedras, which is okay. a suburb of San Juan. Uh, we worked at pack bags at the grocery store. Um, mm. We spent weekends on the beaches having a very nice time. Amazing. And, and when, we, <laughs> and when we came back, when we came back, God, it still wasn't ready. Whoa. So we were sent off to doing some work study in Montreal. And okay. by the end of winter, we were brought back in. And we had to live with families in Vermont because okay. God, Northwood campus was still not ready. So we lived <laughs> with people. I lived with Diana Bassett and her husband, the there were okay. dairy farmers near Blankfield. Oh, we okay. Up every morning for classes in Marshfield nearby. Okay. At a local okay. community center, and uh, Ayola worked in the kitchen. So I mentioned that in my bio. Ayola was a very, very remarkable woman, as many of the Vermonters were. Uh, they basically got, they fed us, took care of us. Oh, uh, and amazing. So when I worked in the great kitchen, as you know, we always had a job to do. We had to contribute. On weekends, I did breakfast in the basement of a small cafeteria. Uh, and on weekdays, I probably ended up helping out rather regularly in the kitchen at, at uh, Greatwood. Uh, okay. And, and so, really, uh, that's how. Um, and then Northwood opened, yes, I'm forgetting the essential part. Northwood finally opened. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what? there's a photo of, of, me of me and Livia Kiliani walking okay. on campus. Taking one of our photographers among the students at that time. Oh, cool. Yeah, so here we are arriving and sometime during the spring, early spring, on Goddard's mm-hmm. Northwood campus. Mm-hmm. And I spent the next three years on Northwood. Oh, that's great. I I don't know Livia uh, personally, but I've seen her uh, on Facebook on the Goddard yes, alumni. Yeah, um, she's site. quite active. Yes, she is. Yeah, yeah, she is very active. Um, I would love to see that picture, like maybe if, if, okay, if you have so, permissions. So, so, yeah. Well, well I, it's probably in our Facebook if we go back about three or okay. four years. However, okay. Chip, Chip Taylor, Chip Taylor mm-hmm. took a lot of photos in black and white of the early days. I've often wanted to bring Chip back into the fold. Yeah. Because I think like a lot of other people, uh, people like David Madden, who really got turned off, by Goddard for whatever reasons. Uh, these people have a legacy to recount as well. And Chip yeah. photographically was a master photographer. And mm. I think there's a lot of merit to, to bring him back in at one point to perhaps mm. at the next alumni, which I hope we'll roll next fall, yeah. as we usually do. Uh, I hope so too. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, keep my name involved. I'm more than willing to get involved. Great, great. For, for the next alumni. 
Wonderful. I'll, uh, I, I'm, I'll make sure people know. <laughs> the, um, yeah. The, so where, where was Northwood? It, where is Northwood? Where was Northwood? <laughs> Northwood was sold off and it became a small community okay. of people that bought, uh, what I would imagine would be called, uh, uh, how do you, what's the word that you use when you buy properties in a condominium style property? Okay, oh, so the, okay. Northwood had four or five dorms. There was mm-hmm. a small lake, and there was a trail that led Northwood back to Greatwood and back to Northwood. Hmm. And so I walked that trail at night dozens, if not hundreds of times wow. because I spent a lot of my social time on Greatwood playing pool. Okay. People, uh, yeah, very good players like Tony Pfeiffer who always beat me. <laughs> but we played, we spent time on Greatwood to get together. My good friends, uh, Sam Karumba, who was on Northwood with me, uh, a Kenyan, black, African, uh, John Dago, very elegant, black, athletic person with a cane, uh, and Don Chaitis, Don Chaitis from Boston. Don and I would shoot the wind with uh, Sam and John among a few others. On Greenwood, mm-hmm. we spent okay. very rich exchanges. So that's why the experience of the residential undergraduate program yeah. was a very, very uh, warm place in my heart, even though I understand mm-hmm. that we, things are changing, but we'll see where it takes us. But uh, the mm-hmm. RUP program, undergraduate program, had a lot of right. offered to all of us. And so right. Northwood was a small community. It evolved over the years, as I'm sure you're aware of, in a very open, wild community. Okay. But Greatwood was rather open and wild as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The state police would raid the Greatwood campus quite often. Uh, there was a lot of drug usage, acid, you name it. Uh, sure. People, uh, I know of people who would walk around with light shades on their hands, thinking they were a lad as opposed to being a human being. Uh, I, I, won't, I won't mention uh, family names, but uh, Robert and Douglas and a few others were among them. But <laughs> despite all that, I think what happened is that Greatwood and Northwood was a, were a whole. Okay, we were daughter. Uh, okay. Whether we were on the campus at one end or uh, at the other end. Uh, for example, I had my dance classes with Mark Ryder, who studied okay. at the Martha Graham, and he was my okay. dance teacher for a couple of years at Goddard. But as, as I mentioned in my bio, we performed in the A bar numerous yes. times to various. Uh, from West Side Story to Oliver, to Pukafian, to uh, Archie and the Head of World. So these, these were very wonderful integrated moments uh, on mm-hmm. both campuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot going on politically as well, the war in Vietnam. Of course. The, the assassination of uh, Martin Luther King, by the way, was a very yeah. great moment uh, in, I believe, 68. I'm not sure if I got the year right. But I remember there was a, there was a divisional feeling between us and the the black community on campus for a short while, it lasted a few weeks. So it was a very mm. sad moment for all of us. Bobby Kennedy also was assassinated during my yeah. uh, not, not only then, but uh, Carmichael uh, yeah. and, and some of the black leaders in the black uh, movement. So, yeah, so yeah. politically, and the war in Vietnam obviously took a lot yeah. of space. Uh, I brought up a couple of people to Quebec to escape uh, the drafted. So, uh, oh, wow. So we crossed the border. They stayed at my home once or twice okay. uh, to help them out. Uh, and mm. They went on from there. I don't know really where they ended up, but that being okay. said, uh, we did our small contribution as a Canadian people. Oh, amazing. Was that, they were Goddard um, students were Goddard at the time? Students, yep. yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their numbers uh, were uh, up? <laughs> oh, I think the awesome. numbers were up, although I can't say how many, but I know in Canada, thousands. And yeah. coming into Canada, and many of them became very key individuals in journalism as well as politically. So wow. all that things. And David Bennett, by the way, spent time in Montreal uh, while okay. he was a student and after he graduated because of his affinity to the French language. Uh, David had a very, uh, we would occasionally converse in French. Uh, his French was rather good. And his okay. skills obviously were, were beyond belief in terms of. As a writer. <laughs> as a writer, he was. Sure. Um, your work at Goddard, as, as I mentioned in the intro, um, is interdisciplinary, <laughs> like yes. most of us. Um, yes, very much so. um, yeah. So, 
um, psychology, teaching, modern dance, I Ching, Tai Chi. How did each of these kind of integrate? Um, and then, like, how were you introduced to them? And then how did they integrate at while you were at Goddard? Sure. So let's start with the psychology. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't get into Goddard when I wanted to because I was too young. We did we okay. had grade 12 in Quebec, so I did one year of university in Montreal, and I still couldn't study psychology because it was a second year, uh, a second year course. So really, when I arrived at Goddard, I had a mentor called Alan Walker, who was our dean on Northwood campus, but who mm -hmm. also taught psychology. So I studied under Alan quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, the offshoot with Alan, however, led me to teaching at Elmhill School on the mountain in Plainfield with Lincoln Boys. So the okay. whole ability of doing some residential counseling began there. Uh, also with June Edson at the Clock House. The Clock House was a daycare center. Uh, oh, okay. 60 years ago. So that's where I worked with young children, underage, under school age children. Okay. Uh, that, became an interesting. And right across from the clockhouse was the bookstore. And the bookstore mm. was where I was introduced to the chain uh, via a war veteran out of the war, Vietnam War, called Jay. I can't recall his family name. He had a crew cut, handsome man. Uh, mm. He said, you should read this book. And he pointed to Wilhelm's translation of the chain uh, mm. Wilhelm Bain. Wilhelm translated from Chinese to German, and Bain's translated from German to English. And so it was called Wilhelm Baines. But Wilhelm was the one who inspired himself through the translation. And that's where I got very intrigued by the I Ching and Taoism mm -hmm. and all the readings that have resulted in my, my non-formal education. Mm -hmm. uh, because you don't do an MA or a PhD in practicing meditation. There's, you just sit. Mm -hmm. But you look for knowledge sources, and a lot of that came from the I Ching. Mm -hmm. Up until the 80s, uh, literally. Uh, it was my only teacher, and then I went looking for uh, being in the business community at that time with all the anxieties and all the obstacles and challenges. Uh, working in business and maintaining a healthy lifestyle uh, was, was very challenging. And that's where I gave uh, credence to developing parallel and a parallel life that took me into. Well, cooperative uh, living, uh, sharing, uh, buying in volume uh, natural foods. We had a cooperative okay. that we bought from. We had a family grouping of uh, maybe half a dozen to a dozen families, if not more. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I took courses in natural, in uh, vegetarian cooking. I ended up needing to balance uh, my understanding of my well-being by getting involved in not only meditation, but also into Zhen Tzu, which had to do with the Hara. The, the Hara is the Tensian, just below the, uh, the lower abdomen, which is where uh, Master Naga developed an approach to Shiatsu called Zen Tzu, which had to do with the various points. A bit like uh, auricular therapy with the ear or the hand and the mm -hmm. okay. So he had developed a similar approach in Shiatsu, so I got a training in Shiatsu. But then I began discovering the energy in my body. Mm. Uh, I can just put out my hands like this and feel the energy. So that brought me into Zen Shiatsu from there to therapeutic touch, the energy mm. body, which, uh, which I can feel very, very quickly. Mm. Uh, and then from there into learning Tai Chi, but from a more intuitive approach. How Wong published a book called... Uh, let me try to remember the title. Return to Mountain, I believe, was part of the title. And I won't taught intuitively. And then because I was discovering the energy body, when I began teaching Tai Chi, I began teaching the movement in a much more expansive way, which had nothing to do with uh, martial arts, which is where mm -hmm. Tai Chi originated from. And then what else did I do? Uh, yoga, obviously. Uh, I had a training in yoga with a woman who introduced me to city yoga, to help to Guru Maichi Vilasananda, who became my guru for four or five years. Okay. Until, a, until something erupted via the New Yorker, an article on the indiscretion, sexually and otherwise, of the movement in City Yoga. Mm. And so for many years, however, I went down to South Fallsburg, New York, did retreats, ended up in India, spent two or three months there with my teacher at that time, and I came back 
And then I left the movement. And for about a dozen years, I didn't practice any meditation. Until, oh. Because things happen in life. We really sure. What, so really what happened is, I guess from 2004, no, from 1994 through 2006, I did not meditate. And then my son showed up at home one day, and I had my... I still had my cushion, I had my mat, I had my meditation bag, I had all the knowledge that I had accumulated over the years, and so he was stressed out, so I took out my mat, my meditation cushion, a Zen cushion that I used, and I showed him what it was, and then all of a sudden, I was registered to do a retreat for the first time in a dozen years. I had sat for 12 years, and I sweated it out for a full two weeks, literally. Literally, and Whoa. I went against the back of the wall. I stayed, and I just sweated. I dripped from tears. Worked through wow. the process and got back into meditation. And wow. instead of going back to sit in yoga, by then, obviously, I didn't. I broke ties as soon as I found out about the distortions. Twelve years earlier, I ended up doing a search under meditation at Quebec's National Library in Montreal. Okay. And I came across the name of a teacher called Bhante Gunaratana. And Bhante Gunaratana, we called him Bhante G. And he had a book on mindfulness and meditation. And okay. it's probably the most read book on meditation in the world. Uh, it's, it's a stable, and he's in his mid-90s now. But I ended up going down to West Virginia to his Bhavana Society Retreat Center a number of times. And that's where I became Buddhist. Uh, mm. Teaching trained women, Buddhism met my needs entirely. Uh, mm. Because the guru that the Buddha was, but we don't use the word guru very often with him, <clears throat> he was more a teacher than a guru, but he was actually a guru. But without any strings attached, because I think when we look at what we, impre- what we imagine to be gurus, we have a rather negative connotation about a guru. Because so many of them showed up on our shores uh, since the 50s and 60s. However, right. Bhante G was a true teacher, a wonderful teacher. He's still alive. Uh, I sat with him a number of times. And then, from then on, I ended up discovering Buddhism from a Chinese perspective, Mahayana. In Buddhism, they use terms like lower and the higher vehicle. The lower vehicle is Theravada and Buddhism, that Bhantiji taught. But it's not really a lower vehicle. But basically, it did not include one precept, one vision of helping people in a similar manner than Mahayana Buddhism did. And Mahayana introduced what we call the Bodhisattva approach, which are both lay and monastic vows, and you can say, that want to provide you with a framework to want to not abandon anybody within your lifetime until all people are liberated. And then, if you are at that level, you can then become a Buddha. <laughs> it's amazing. And so we have the Theravada and the Mahayana, slightly different. One is considered higher and one is considered lower. They're not, but they are. So without being, I don't judge, I have teachers in both. Uh, but at the Chinese monastery, I've been going down for almost eight or nine years now, and uh, I've had various Mahayana teachers that are also Theravada teachers. Some are both, some are not. Bodhi, one of your great American monks uh, out of New York City who could have become an astrophysicist but chose to become a monk about 40 years ago. He's a little older than me. He's in his late 70s. But I've sat with him half a dozen times. A remarkable man. But he has translated the Buddhist sutras into English. Uh, numerous, numerous sutras. Hundreds of them. Have. So there's, there are blessings that we have from within the Oriental uh, monastic community and the, uh, how do we call ourselves? We're not Oriental, but we're called, uh, help me out here, uh, Occidental. There we go. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. And also, Western, within, Occidental, yeah. And, and, and within the Mahayana, there's a, an inclination that has taken me to Tibetan Buddhism, which I enjoy even more because of the mental, uh, the mind, and its importance. Uh, the mind is the shining jewel, literally, that we need to clean. And so all those obscurations that overcast the mind, well, there aren't too many ways of getting through that process of eliminating that, but by meditating and being mindful in our choices in our lives. 
So that's where my, as you know, mindfulness and meditation became a big part of my contribution to our alumni community of Goddard since three years ago. So that that is led, by the way, with Melanie Goodman-Dante, uh, the initiative that we've launched with the Jewels of Refuge uh, initiative that we began in February of this last year. Of this year, this year. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. coming to the end of this year. So we sit, we sit with a group, a small group of people, sometimes mm-hmm. they're there, sometimes they're not. Uh, but the healthcare workers, the, the frontline workers that have supported us have been a very special part of the, that meditation circle that we have every morning. Mm. So the intent is to create a virtual space, both both virtual and non-virtual, but a safe space where people can learn the importance of finding an inner life within a very cacophonic other life, which we all have to face. It's not getting away from it unless you live in the country as I do, but even there, society does exist. We can't ignore it. And the the inclination that, or the inner the inner awakening and the the tendencies that we develop over a lifetime take us somewhere. And as we age, obviously, a lot of people think that they need to go and kind of like get away from society. But we're still part of society, no matter how you cut the cake. And also, we're, we need to contribute to society with our skill sets. And that's where Goddard has become so important. Goddard is, is a shining jewel within education that uh, will not die out. I, I, I doubt that very much. But there needs to be a reawakening of our community, uh, coast to coast to coast, uh, from one continent to another, so that we can defend the, the legacy that that represents. And Goddard is a spiritual legacy, even though not very often has it been mentioned, but there have been a lot of philosopher kings of Goddard, from Tim to uh, Will Hamlin, by the way, which may not be a name you're familiar with, but Will was a thinker about the Goddard experience. Corinne Elliott was a doer about the Goddard experience. Uh, within the late 40s through to the late 70s or 80s, whatever, however long they lasted, and so many others in between. So they had an understanding of the growth that the individual needed to experience within a community setting that Goddard represented. And Goddard could have very easily been a retreat center as well, by the way, very, very easily. I can almost, you know, I'd love to see it become that, so I can bring people in and do retreats. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's a perfect setting. Yeah. I have definitely felt, um, because I, I know that there has been a way of thinking about the people who like did low residency um, at Goddard, which is, is what I did um, yeah. uh, compared to the resident undergrad undergrad program of the RUP. And I totally understand <laughs> that there, there are different experiences um, yes. for sure. Yes, like very different experiences. When I was there as a low resident uh, student, I did kind of feel like it was a retreat, you know, like I would go twice a year for one week and then we just cut <laughs> one of my advisors called it Brigadoon. This magical town appearing, um, you know, twice, a, like once a semester and we all come and we have this, these different energy and, um, and then we go away. <laughs> so, so it's, I mean, it's a completely different experience from being there night after night and, you know, like really building that kind of community, but I think both valuable. Um, and so, yeah, as a retreat center, if it were, if it be- were to become a retreat center. I mean, w- who knows? <laughs> but um, but I think it could function very well um, yes, as, as I that. Think so too. From the 60s through the 80s, to the end of the 80s, there was a, probably a changing of the guard that was quite significant regarding the presidency. Uh, some were there as administrators, like John Hall, who used to be the pro, I believe, of Goddard in the 60s. Uh, and then others that came in, uh, even their names I don't recall. However, they were not necessarily the people that could have turned the next corner. And God had always faced 
difficulty in financing its existence uh, and reaccrediting itself with the New England Board of uh, Education or whatever it might be called. I, I may not have the right uh, naming. But I think what Goddard has created is a there's been a frustration associated to Goddard maintaining its impetus over the years. And so it became very creative in its ability to redefine itself with yeah. low residency variations that have occurred over the years, the master's uh, in, in, insertion of the capability of going for a master's. The, the Goddard is something that, that keeps us young. Uh, without Goddard, I don't think I would have felt the, the youth within me as much, even though I'm entering into my 75th year. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't believe that, by the way. Uh, I feel a kinship with everybody that is younger with me because my yeah. mind is young. When I was interviewed at Goddard, and I think I've shown this on a couple of occasions, this is the Goddard oh. catalog that I got introduced to in 1964. Oh, great. Okay. October 64, and within it, I've always kept this together. Oh, here, if I want to register to Goddard, 1965. Oh. But I have my Goddard, and I'm sure a lot of us have this, our commencement. Oh, okay, All great. people... All the people that I graduated with on Northwood and Greatwood, because and this was this was Tim's second to last commencement. So here we have both Northwood and Greatwood. Oh, all wonderful! The students graduated, and also in the late eighties, I showed up at Goddard as I tried to do every so often. And there's something called in defense of smallness that was written by Will Hamlin. Okay. Okay. Hmm. And so, Will Hamlin, and this is a little document that I'd love to, well, you know, it's called In Defense of Smallness. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's Goddard's Philosophy of Education. And the book, obviously, is what brought me to Goddard. Hmm. So, all this has remained with me for well over 50 years. Yeah. Okay, we're looking at 1950, 1964 through to now. So, it's 57 years. And I kept this preciously. Uh, so I think that well, I'm not really, I think I think there will be a re-emergence of Goddard in whatever form it needs to be. But Greatwood Campus, as it is now, with some funding, it's worth keeping. Believe mm-hmm. me, it's it's a pearl. Of course. Um, so we are going to wrap up in a few minutes. Um, but you have already mentioned yours and Melanie's sitting meditation practice, right? Very much so, yes. Um, for people who are not familiar with that, and can can anyone join? And Anybody can join us right now. Okay. It'll be Friday at 5.30 in the morning when we sit. Mm. So and I always post that, by the way, to the group that I formed for the meditation. Okay. On the alumni, Goddard alumni website. So it's okay, there great. regularly. Anybody great. can reach me via my Gmail or okay. my Goddard email. <clears throat> so, and not everybody can sit down and, and do it for any more than a few minutes. So, there's an awareness about the importance of going out, the process of beginning a practice in a progressive manner. The PowerPoint that I created two years, three years ago, actually, two or three years ago, is very technical, but it can be completely simplified as well. That can still be sent out if anybody wanted to take that initiative with the database of people that signed up. Uh, both the mindfulness and meditation PowerPoint as well as my guided meditation, which is a 45 minute guided meditation uh, with an initial, I'd say, eight or nine minutes. And then at six minutes from the end, we do a loving kindness, compassion meditation with a number of statements that are very key. Mm-hmm. Wishing oneself well, being happy dealing with being safe as well as successfully realizing whatever whatever one's ambitions may be. So those are affirmations to oneself, to our dear ones, to society at large, as well as to people that are working and not-for-profits, frontline workers especially. So that it's a 90-minute practice four times for those different groups through the final six minutes, and then we just finish up. So there's a 30-minute sitting that is completely silent, and people are free to come and go as they wish. I can I can mute everybody so there's no bothering going on. Uh, 
because not everybody are able to stay, stay still. Even I sometimes, obviously. Uh, and then there's also the possibility of doing retreats. I've been doing retreats for close to 40 years. Uh, retreats can be a weekend, a week, two weeks, 10 days, or a month, and I've done them all. Uh, so you start small and you grow and you build strength and you build resistance. You build uh, what we call the energy to maintain the practice. You need to nourish your ability to go silent in mindfulness or meditation or both during the course of a day, a month, or a year. And as we age, you're younger than I am, but I was your age not that long ago. Uh, perhaps you're in your 30s, am I right? I'm 41 now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. So mm-hmm. a little, little before that, I began meditating mm-hmm. in my mid to late 30s. So things happen when we go back into the world and deal with all the anxieties, and people are now making decisions. So a safe environment, I think, is key as well. People need to feel safe because we're being threatened and bombarded by so many things that happen in our lives on a daily basis. And we don't know what to do, many of us. So we go to yoga, we go to Tai Chi. Some people sign up to a small meditation group, which is fantastic. And there's a lot out there, by the way. You can Google and come up with thousands of websites that do meditation retreats. So I'm just one part. I'm a drop in a glass, literally. Well, I think this will be a wonderful resource for... um the new year especially um because people generally have goals and especially with dealing with daily anxiety i mean <laughs> i'm sure everyone's daily anxiety has risen quite a bit in the last couple of years um as as we have been going through and uh i don't know if we can say we're coming out of the covid-19 <laughs> pandemic but um Hopefully we are. Hopefully we are. We're in a different stage of it in any case. Um, And um, I will put links to all of the Goddard group that you post in um, and uh, people can reach out to you for resources if they if they wish. Um, And yeah, thank you so much, Georges. This was wonderful. This is a great conversation. Thank you for having me. It's been very Pleasant being with you as well, getting to know you as well, knowing your Canadian roots, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, but thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. For more information about anything we talked about, please check the show notes. This podcast is a project of Goddard Alumni Council. It is produced, hosted, and edited by Amanda Faye Laxon. If you are interested in being a guest on the podcast or would like more information, please visit goddardalumni.com slash podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. See you next time.